on a Sunday like today where we have a text like today, I'm so grateful that we can anchor everything we do in the remembrance of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You'll see why uh, I'm saying that in just a few moments. Uh, I say that in part for those watching online, just to warn you, we are going to share bread and wine. So if you're not prepared for that, uh, you might want to spend a few minutes scurrying around, finding some appropriate elements so that you can join in with us uh, here in the room. Well, if you were with us uh, last weekend, uh, you would have heard Christine kick off our, our new teaching series as we're thinking about the Old Testament character of Samson. Uh, in our leadership time yesterday morning, uh, as we had breakfast together, Christine said, thank you so much for giving me the easy week. Uh, and uh, if you know the story of Samson, you'll know Christine did get the easy week. Uh, but Christine, thank you. you. You did an incredible job of laying a brilliant foundation upon which we continue to build uh, this weekend. Uh, just in case you missed it, a quick reminder uh, about Samson. Uh, God's chosen people uh, have been living pretty rotten, uh, pretty ungodly, unfaithful lives again. Do you remember that word Christine shared last weekend? Again. Comes up again and again and again in the book of Judges. They were living unfaithful lives again. They find themselves under the rule of the, the Philistines, and uh, who were their sworn enemies. So God decides, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to raise up a, a supernaturally, supernaturally strong individual to do something about it. Last weekend, we heard the story of how an angel appeared to Mrs. Manoah and tells Mrs. Manoah that she's going to have a baby, that she's going to conceive. Now, during her pregnancy, she wasn't to drink any wine. Uh, she wasn't to eat anything that was deemed to be unclean. Now, this baby that she was going to have was going to be a Nazarite. And as a Nazarite, he would live by three vows. The first was, thou shalt not go to the pub. Who fancies being a Nazarite? Anyone? Not many hands uh, going up in the room this morning. He wasn't to drink any alcohol. The second was that he wasn't to touch anything that was dead or unclean. In contemporary language, we say, Samson, you must sanitize your hands regularly. And then thirdly, not a problem I have, he was told he could never go to the barber, that he was to allow his hair to grow nice and long. Now, of course, all of this, especially the, the vow about the hair, was a way of Samson outwardly demonstrating his inward commitment to God. Sounds a bit like baptism, doesn't it? An outward demonstration of an inward commitment to God. Now, you'll remember that uh, the, the angel appeared to Mrs. Manoah. Uh, when Mr. Manoah heard the story, he checked it out with God. Another angel appears, and the angel confirms that what uh, she'd heard was actually true. And then at the very end of Judges chapter 13, where we finished last week, uh, the chapter before we were in this weekend, Samson, it says, grew and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir within him. I think they're really significant words for us as a church at this point in our journey, that the Spirit of God began to stir within Samson. That's what I sense God is doing amongst us, that the Spirit of God is stirring in a new way. It's exciting uh, to be part of that story. So that's the story of Samson. It's a great story, isn't it? A, a man with incredible God-given potential. As Christine helped us see last weekend, he was a man that was blessed. He was blessed with parents who clearly loved him and nurtured him and wanted him to flourish in the things of God. That's my desire for my children, that they will live uh, in the things of God. But as we're going to discover from our scripture reading this morning, God-given potential and being well-parented 
and no guarantee that a person is not going to make some bad decisions or some self-destructing life choices. In a sense, you can summarize the whole of Samson's story in a single sentence. A strong man with a dangerously weak will. That was Samson, a strong man with a dangerously weak will. Now, there's no doubt as you look at the story of Samson that God's hand is upon him. God's strength is definitely with him. So much so that that when God's spirit came upon him, Samson could kill a, a thousand Philistine men. When God's strength came upon him, Samson could rip a lion apart using his bare hands. Now, my guess is that most of us can relate to Samson. Not that we killed a lion or some Philistines on the way to church this morning, but in many ways, Samson is just like you and he's just like me. A man with so much potential, and yet again and again, he squanders that potential with stupid living and irrational choices. And yet, here's the amazing thing. God continues to pour his grace into Samson's life, despite the fact that he can't get his act together. I wonder if you can relate. Do you know, it's grace that got me into God's family, and it's grace that keeps me in his family. That's my story. And maybe that's your story too. So if you've got a Bible, let's uh, turn to Judges. Uh, If you can still find it, it's one of those books of the Bible that disappears when you start looking for it. Uh, Judges chapter 14. I'm going to read in various chunks this morning, so please do keep it open in front of you. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and his mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. His father and his mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord. He was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So in these opening verses of uh, Judges chapter 14, we see at least three massive trip stones which cause Samson to fall on his face despite his God-given abilities and despite the fact that he was well-parented. The three trip stones are lust, entitlement, and pride. And out of that cocktail, we then discover uh, Samson gets incredibly angry. And I want to suggest to us this morning as we open up God's Word that these are three trip stones that we would do well to look out for in our own lives. And the first is the trip stone of lust. Now, perhaps it goes without saying that lust is a huge problem in our world today. But it's not only a problem for men. It's especially a problem for men, but it's also a problem for women. They're not immune in our pornified world. Lust is that occasion when you see something and you just desire it and you have to have it for yourself. And if you're caught up in lust, you'll often find yourself responding with words like, I want it. I've got to have it. It must be mine. I'm going to have it. We see those words and hear those words pour out of the lips of Samson. When a person gets locked into lustful thinking, and if you've ever been in this place, you'll know it, all sense and all logic goes out of the window. And we see that in spadefuls in the story of Samson today. 
his gaze, in a sense, is locked onto things that um, he shouldn't be looking at, and he becomes so utterly blinkered to those things that he can't even hear the words of those wise people who are trying to speak wise words and sense into his life. In our story today, um, Samson travels not far, about four miles away from his home into enemy territory. He's going into enemy territory to this place called Timnah. Now, that's significant. He spots a stunning young woman, and from that moment onwards, he becomes absolutely obsessed about her. He says to his parents, I want her. I've got to have her. I'm going to have her. And by the way, parents, you're going to partner with me to make this happen. Now, rightly so, his parents in this moment start trying to speak some sense into his life. But he's so caught up in this trap of lust that Samson simply couldn't listen to what his parents were saying. His parents knew what God's best was for him, but he simply couldn't hear it. Now, the thing is, as a committed Nazarite, Samson also knew full well himself what God had already said in his word, that you will not intermarry with those who don't worship me. So the first tripstone, lust. And I just wonder this morning if there are some of us struggling with this particular issue, the issue of lust. And I think there's a challenge from our text today, and the challenge is this, is to confront it and not to ignore it. Because at some point, if it's not confronted, just as happened to Samson, it will land you flat on your face. So that's the first tripstone, Lust. And then we come to the second tripstone, the tripstone of entitlement. Now, Samson knew full well that this woman was off limits, but driven by lust and an over-inflated sense of his own entitlement, Samson responds, I don't care what my mum says. I don't even care what my dad says. Do you know what? I don't even care what God says, and I don't care what's right or what's wrong. I work hard. I've been slaving away, I've been a well-behaved child, and I've been a devoted Nazarite up to this point, and so I deserve this. I deserve to have this beautiful woman. Aren't they such dangerous words to pour out of a person's mouth? I deserve this. I'm owed this. I'm entitled to this. And of course, all that we're hearing is a reflection of what's going on in Samson's heart. He's so narcissistic. He's so self-serving. Me, 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 me is what Samson could well have said. And it's ugly stuff, isn't it? But I know sometimes I find myself in that place as well. In Samson, we find the worst possible cocktail of lust and entitlement, which can make a person do the most irrational of things, sometimes even ungodly things. Well, listen to what happens next. Verse 5, Samson went down to Timnah, to gather with his father and his mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn apart a young goat. Well, that was a learning thing for me. I didn't know you could tear a goat apart with your bare hands. I'd give that a try on the way home. But he neither told his father nor his mother what he had done. Then when he went down and he talked with the woman, he liked her. You know, perhaps the saddest part of this story is that Samson's sin is not only polluting its own life, but it's also polluting the lives of others. Sin always does that, always. 
lust and this overinflated sense of entitlement is causing Samson to drag his God-honoring parents off into enemy territory to meet the woman that neither they nor God want him to marry. All this is a profound reminder, isn't it, of how ungodly actions of one person can pollute the worlds of another person. And oftentimes, the worlds that, that get most polluted are the worlds of the people that we love the most. It's often how it goes. And it's a fascinating moment in the story, isn't it, when all of a sudden this lion comes along. And I just wonder whether or not this lion actually is a bit of a warning from God to, to turn around on this path to destruction and to run in the other direction. As he's going along unbelown to his parents, this lion jumps out and Samson rips the lion to pieces and leaves the lion on the floor uh, for dead. Now, this is one of those flight or fight moments, isn't it? I mean, put yourself in this situation. I'd have been in flight mode here. I would not have stuck around to fight the lion, but Samson does. And I would want to suggest this morning that killing a lion under such circumstances actually isn't an unreasonable thing to do if you decide you're going to stay and you're going to fight. But the problem comes in verse 8, which is when Samson returns to Timnah. Now, I said that Timnah was significant because Timnah means restraint in Hebrew. Isn't that interesting? Restraint. He's heading off to Timnah to marry this off-limits woman. And the Bible says Samson turned aside. He turned aside, and that's when he gets himself into trouble. Verse 8. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands, and he ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some too. And they too ate it. But he did not tell them what he, that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Samson turned aside, or we might say he made a little detour. And that's the point at which he gets himself into trouble. When we're supposed to be going in one direction and we deviate from the path that we should be on when we turn aside, that's when we all get into trouble, isn't it, in the journey of faith? A little detour into sin can get us into a whole pile of doo-doo. Samson simply knew he shouldn't have been there, but actually he wanted to be there. Again, I can relate. The Apostle Paul can relate. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. Arr! That was supposed to be frustration, not the sound of a pirate, by the way. <laughs> I wonder if you can identify with the frustration. Suddenly, because Samson turns aside, he finds himself breaking one of his Nazarite vows as he stops to admire this ripped-up lion carcass. Verse 9, in it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands, and he ate as he went along, and then tragically, he gives that to his parents. You see, here's the big learning point, I think, from our story today, is what we are focused on will ultimately shape us and lead us. Whatever we fix our gaze upon will ultimately shape us and lead us and guide us. Do you remember the old hymn? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You see, it works both ways. 
we fix our eyes on sinful things, that will lead us and guide us. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, then we've at least got a chance of doing things which honor him. What was it he was supposed to not touch? Well, he was not supposed to touch dead things, things that were unclean, and here he touches a very dead lion. The same God who gave him the power to rip apart the lion he betrays. He betrays a vow to the God who had blessed him throughout of his life. For what? For a handful of honey. For a few moments so that he could brag about himself, about how awesome he was for a few days because he'd managed to kill this thing that had attacked him a few days before. Of course, what we know from the story, it was only God's supernatural empowering that actually made him awesome in that moment with the lion. I mean, who would be stupid enough to betray God for a handful of honey? Feels very lonely this morning. Do you know, I can be that stupid. We can all be that stupid that we betray our God for a handful of honey. We humans are funny things, aren't we? Probably daily we betray the God who has and does abundantly bless us for stupid things. And in the process, we not only hurt ourselves, but we hurt those who we love the most. All because we've turned aside. All because we can't resist the temptations. All because we can't show a little timnar, a little restraint towards those things which surely are going to be on our paths as we walk with Jesus. The reason I can relate to Samson today is because my daily experience is exactly this in the, the journey of discipleship. My discipleship, probably yours too, is a tension. It's a tension between the glorious reality that we believe in and that we yearn for versus the hard reality of the temptation that we wrestle with every single day of our lives. And yet somehow God can use these challenges and even our failures, our utter desperation to help us walk more closely with him. We see that in the story of Samson eventually. You see, most of us don't truly treasure Jesus until we've tried out all the alternatives to Jesus. Do you know what I mean? It's the story of the prodigal son, isn't it? I'll go off and experience wild living, and when I've discovered that doesn't work, well, then I'll come back to the Father. And the amazing thing is that Jesus is extraordinarily merciful to those who find themselves at the bottom of the barrel at the end of their rope. And I just really sense today, some of us need to know that we're at the bottom of the barrel. Jesus will meet you there if you'll allow him to. Some of us are at the end of our rope. Jesus is at the end of the rope, ready to meet you and ready to help you journey, journey forwards. He always is there. Maybe today you've got a sense that you're struggling with some great shame in your life. Maybe you've got sins that keep coming back to haunt you over and over again, recurring sins that you just can't break the habit of. If that's you today, would you hear the words of Zephaniah 3.19? God says it's a promise. I will save the weak and the helpless ones. I will change their shame into praise. Jesus can deal with your shame. Maybe today you need to hear the words of Romans 10.11. Everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. Jesus can deal with your shame. Why? Because Jesus went to his death on the cross so that you and I can be free, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be covered and secure. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed the powers and the authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
You see, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, puts the shamers and all sources of shame to shame. Isn't that good news? As we read on in the story, having seen what the combined forces of lust and entitlement achieve, the rest of the story actually is just an outworking of Samson's pride as he pours pride, this third tripstone, onto an already raging fire. It's pride that's fueling this really odd riddle that comes, if you know the story. It comes in verse 12, but let's read on from verse 10. It says, Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, then I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, then you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, here's the riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give an answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we'll burn you and your father's household to death. This is gripping stuff, isn't it? Did you invite us here to steal our property? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me, you don't really love me, you've given my people a riddle, but you haven't even told me an answer. I haven't even explained it to my mother and father, he said. <laughs> I wonder why. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. So the wedding's about to go down. It's about to happen. And Samson's proposed future wife, who's a Philistine woman, is obviously at the event, and she's invited all of her Philistine friends, God's sworn enemies, remember, to come and be at this family gathering, at this party. Samson's hanging around with these 30 men, and you can just smell the testosterone in the room, can't you? You just smell it as 31 men gather together. The environment is absolutely toxic. I'm such a man. Hey, I'm going to tell you a riddle. How about we have a little wager on it? And I bet you 30 pieces of linen and 30 bits of clothing that I'm going to win this contest and you're going to lose. Well, God had uh, gifted Samson abundantly, but it's very clear that he didn't gift him with the gift of mathematics. If he loses, he's got to come up with 30 outfits. If the other men lose, then they've just got to come up with one each. Samson is not very clever at maths. He says, I'll give you seven days to fiddle out, fiddle out, to work out my little riddle. You see, what he's really doing in this moment, fueled by his pride, is he's giving these men seven whole days to think about how amazing Samson is because he'd killed that lion. Here's the riddle, verse 14. From the eater came something to eat. From the strong came something sweet. Huh? What on earth is he going on about? Well, of course, knowing nothing of this incident, these Philistine guys, angry that they're losing, they go to Samson's fiance and they say, trick him. Get the secret out of him. And if you don't get the secret out of Samson, then we're going to burn you and your entire father's household to death. <laughs> so Samson's bride becomes a weapon against him. And for seven days, she cries, you don't love me. You hate me. You don't love me. 
And then finally, Samson caves into her tears and tells her the secret. In turn, she tells them, and then Samson's pride gets even more dented. Samson's furious that they've managed to work out this riddle. And then he says to them the most stupid thing a human being can ever say to their bride. Here it comes, verse 18, listen in. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Yet he really did call his wife a heifer. Now, can I suggest something? That is never a good move in a relationship, to call your partner, especially your wife, a heifer. And in the closing verses of Judges chapter 14, Samson's lust, his sense of entitlement, his pride send him spiraling into this angry rage that continues long into Judges 15, which we'll come to next week. Listen to what it says in verse 19. Then the Spirit of, Lord came, of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. So rather than responding by God's spirit, Samson responds with pure emotion in this moment. He's emotion-driven. He's not spirit-led. He takes the lives of 30 innocent men for their clothing, and his fiance, perhaps mercifully, I would suggest for her, ends up marrying another man. Here's the trailer for next week. You might not come back. So Samson's anger continues into Judges 15. He tries to get even more even with the men who had tricked him. He grabs some foxes, he ties them together, 300 of them, and he wipes out a few fields and some olive groves in the process. His should-have-been wife plus her, plus her extended family all end up dead. Why? Because of one man's anger, because of one man's lust, one man's entitlement, and one man's pride. That's next week. Bet you can't wait. You know, there's something else in here as well, and we can't hide from this fact, is God repeatedly, repeatedly seems to work out his plans and his purposes through Samson's sin. Did you see that today? And next week, I'm going to explain how that's possible. This is called a, a theological conundrum. How can a righteous God use one person's sin to work out victory amongst his people? It's coming next week, but in your small groups, there's a question this week that says... How could God in his sovereignty use one man's sin to work out his plans and his purposes? I'd really love to hear your thoughts and reflections uh, before next Sunday morning if you lead a small group. But I wonder today if you can relate to Samson. He was physically strong, but he was morally weak. Today it might not be lust, it might not be entitlement, it might not be pride, it might not be anger, although it could be. But I wonder where is it today that you feel weak in your journey of faith? You see, what we learn from Samson's story is that if we hope in ourselves or trust in our own strength, then we'll remain weak and we'll remain enslaved and our God-given potential simply won't be recognized. You see, Samson is this incredible reminder to us, isn't it, that true strength and true hope is found only in Jesus. 
And I wonder this morning, will you come to him in your weakness so that he can make you strong today? His grace is sufficient for you today, regardless of the thing that you wrestle with. Listen to these words. Hebrews 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run the race with perseverance, the race that's marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's not turn aside. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him enjoyed the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus has dealt with the shame that you might be wrestling with today. Will you come to him? And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus has put to shame the things that would shame you today. What a good news. What a gospel. Let's put our hope, let's put our strength in him. Let's fix our eyes upon him as we continue the journey that's before us. I want us to be still for a moment. And what I want us to do today is what comes out of Judges 13, which is to allow the Spirit of God to stir within us in that stillness. And it might just be in that stillness that God, just in the quietness, in the stillness, with a still quiet voice or with a booming voice, I don't know, will just reveal to us that one area or a couple of areas that we need to come to Christ with today because we're weak and we need him to make us strong. Because we feel shame and we need to be relieved of that shame. Let's be still. Let's allow the Spirit of God to stir. And then I'll invite David and team to lead us on in the rest of our worship. Thank you, Lord, that you speak into our lives. We thank you that uh, sometimes you do that with a still, small voice. Sometimes you do it with a shouty voice. But, Lord, we need to hear. Help us to be good listeners and to listen and to carry out what it is that you've been speaking to us about. Father, help us to focus our minds on Jesus. Help us to um, remember what he has done for us. Help us, Lord, in all our lives, in each day ahead, to be walking in his way. Let's uh, sing together. Let's sing, Jesus, be the center.
be seated. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Why? Because of what the Lord has done for us. It's all about him. It's all about what Jesus has achieved for us. On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. A reminder of his body broken for you and for me. A reminder that though we are weak, he is strong. He said, take and eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. The blood of Christ shed for you, shed for me, because we're weak. But the cup is the reminder that he is strong. He said, take and drink, do this in remembrance of me. Remember the amazing promise I've made to you. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's coming again. He's coming to meet his church. A church that's weak, but a church that he can make strong. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we thank you so much for your willingness, your joy, as it says in Hebrews 12, to go to the cross, to die. But Lord, too, we remember to be gloriously raised to new life in order to deal with our shame, in order to deal with our sin and our weakness. Thank you, Lord, so much that in your death and in your resurrection, you put death and you put sin in its proper place. You made those things which sought to shame us, shame themselves, making a spectacle of them. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that in Christ we are free. Thank you that in Christ we have a hope and we have a future. Thank you, Lord, that as we receive from this table this morning the bread and the wine, the reminder of your body broken, of your blood shed. Lord, thank you that we're reminded of your strength, even in our weakness. Lord, thank you too this morning that as we come, you take us as we are, but Lord, you love to send us away, changed and transformed. And Lord, I want to pray that somehow in the mystery of this feast, as we share in it together today, that Lord, you would so stir in our hearts that as we come with our problems of lust, our problems of entitlement, our problems of pride, our problems of anger, or whatever those things might be. Lord, thank you that you can deal with them. Lord, thank you that in our weakness, you can make us strong to live for you. Lord, by your spirit, stir within us, I pray. I want to just give a few moments of stillness, maybe just to bring before the Lord this morning those things that he's already revealed to us in that time we've already shared in together, those wrestles that we might have, those habitual sins that we might be wrestling with, those areas of weakness. Let's bring them before him today and let's say sorry for those things. Let's confess them. 
but we remind ourselves as we come to this table that his grace is sufficient even for us this morning. Thank you, Lord. Let's be still. Lord, thank you for your grace. That grace that brought us into your family, that enables us to call you Father. That grace that sustains us in our walk as we continue in your family on this journey of discipleship. Without your grace, we're nothing. Without your death and your resurrection, we're without hope. So we thank you. The body of, broken, uh, of Jesus broken for the forgiveness of your sin. The blood of Christ shed so that you can be free. So that you can be free. I to invite those this morning who are going to be uh, serving us to come. And then as and when you're ready, I invite you to come to the table on my right or to my left or to the table that's at the rear, whichever you prefer. To receive the bread this morning, which is gluten-free. Also to receive a cup of wine. It's Nazarite wine, by the way, uh, this morning. It's alcohol-free. I'd invite you as you return to your seats to eat the bread, but to hold the cup so that we can drink together. Let's respond this morning, knowing that though we're weak, Jesus makes us strong. Please, as you're ready.
we receive from this table because we love Jesus in response to the incredible truth that he loved us first. The blood of Christ, the sign of how much he loves us, even though we're weak. The blood of Christ that reminds us that he is strong. Strong enough to conquer over sin, strong enough to conquer over death. Let's this morning drink together from the cup as a reminder that we love him and he loves us even more. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the amazing truth that you died, that you rose again for us. That in you, we are a people, we're a family who are free. A family who have access to the Father that we simply don't deserve. That we're a people, a family who are loved, who are cherished. That we're a family who have a hope which is eternal. And Lord, we thank you for that truth this morning, that we are indeed family, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, the church. Thank you that we've got an amazing Heavenly Father. Thank you that we have an awesome older brother whose name is Jesus, who's rescued us, who's saved us. And Lord, we thank you for each other. Brothers and sisters in Christ, pilgrims on the journey, those to cheer us on, those sometimes to hold us accountable. And just in a few moments of stillness, I want us just to pray for our church family. Maybe there are those on your mind this morning, on your heart, who you just want to lift before the Lord in a, a moment of stillness, just in the quietness of your own heart. Let's name our brothers and sisters who maybe need to know a touch of God this morning. Let's take this moment.